0: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com/slash-with-amex.
1: This crowd rises to its feet. Letoro slammed it home.
2: Garland left wing, free ball, perfect. Garland out of the lane, locked him only. Pow! And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Pow! With the left hand and a foul. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media Family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Chase Down is presented by FuboTV. Watch over hundred channels of live sports and TV for half the cost cable. There's no contract and no commitment. Try for free at FuboTV.com. Well, guys, it's over. The Cavs postseason run has ended in five games to the New York Knicks. Carter is ducking from the grind. He's running away. He's away on business. So I brought in friend of the podcast, Mac Robinson, to join me to help discuss this Game 5 loss and some of the immediate reactions feelings everything that we're dealing with in game five mac how you doing buddy
1: I, i'm doing i'm doing well i guess for the circumstances you know i'm i'm happy to be on uh and definitely wish it was under happier uh pretenses but uh you know nonetheless happy to be on here with you there Justin
2: oh de- definitely appreciate you making the time and you're right it, it doesn't feel fun it really disappointed to, to see the Cavs drop this one honestly this was a game that i thought that they would go out and win um, I, I thought, you know, coming back home, at least push it to six and then we can see what happens at MSG. And it was an unfortunate timing for the Cavs to have their worst defensive half. I, I think of the series, they just, all the problems that plagued them throughout the series in terms of offensive rebounding, a few careless turnovers, and honestly, even some just flat out defensive lapses, uh, w- whether that be in transition or, or in the half court. Uh, it was disappointing to, to see the effort that they started this game with.
1: Yeah, and that was the biggest thing that stood out to me was the fact that, you know, and even hearing it briefly on the, the national broadcast there as well, you know, the fact that despite the fact that where the Cavs were offensively, they were still within 10, still within 11, still within 12, and the fact that they couldn't just get over that hump really just took that to another level, you know, and, and a lot of times, like you mentioned too, you know, maybe maybe a little bit of sloppiness when it comes to some of those turnovers here and there, defensively a few miscues here and there that led to more points off turnovers, uh, and, and then, especially you know, taking a look at what happens when it comes to uh, the, the the second chance points, especially really mm-hmm. stood out to me. And that was one where, despite the fact that the guy's seven feet tall and you know two hundred however many pounds, Mitchell Robinson looked like he like he had silent feet the entire night. And um, you know, for him being able to get around some of those rebounds and being able to get some of those second chance points. You know, Cavs ended up uh, being having a deficit of twenty to three uh, when it came to second chance at points uh, here tonight as well. But you know, when it came to the the did, over, did you rebound whatever you just dropped yeah, on your desk there? Yeah, you know what, I uh, I, I fumble that one, fumble that one. But you know <laughs> what, we're good. Screen isn't cracked. We're okay. Good, good. Um, yeah, we're good. Uh, but no, like when it comes to just just the the first half, especially like you mentioned, you know, a few times with Jalen Brunson, and again, Jalen Brunson is going to cook regardless. But at the same time, for what he was able to do, uh, to uh, especially in just a few of those backbreaking times, where you know, even if there's a miss, just the, some of those tip out rebounds, Josh Hart going in and crashing the boards, grabbing a couple extra boards there as well. You know, that's where it's more frustrating than anything, especially watching the game, just seeing a couple of those second chance opportunities that the Knicks were able to get that really kind of put them over the top
2: yeah and and honestly I think the appropriate place for us to really start with this is giving credit to the New York Knicks um one hell of a series from the Knicks and they beat the Cavs at a style that I think Cavs fans in general identify with right like that whether it was with the LeBron run generating those second chance opportunities being that team that kind of out toughs the opponent uh the way that we would beat up on the Warriors when they're running those off ball actions they did all of that kind of stuff to us and it's it's frustrating to be on the other side of it it's it's something that i think while we can talk about the scheme while we can talk about okay what players could have done better individually when it comes to execution they just played harder and they played like they wanted it more which i think needs to be something that's in the mouth of of all these players right like that's that's something that's going to leave a sour taste in their mouth and Knowing how competitive this group is, I, I think they're going to use it as fuel. But I, I think from like a fan perspective, I, I understand the disappointment. Like This is not what you want to see. I, I think the Knicks team was a good enough team to beat us in a series. Obviously, they did beat us. Um, but I, I think we would have expected it, if the Knicks were to win, that it would be a much tougher fight than this. If the series would go long, Jalen Brunson plays outstanding jalen brunson was really good he was the best guard in the series but he was shooting 43 percent from the floor 29 percent from three julius Randle wasn't particularly great obviously playing through an ankle injury himself they just beat us in all of those kind of hustle metrics which is supposed to be the kind of bread and butter for the calves and I, as i said i have no doubt in my mind that this is a locker room full of prideful players. And you have to expect that this is something that that gives them fuel going into the summer.
1: Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head there, especially too, when you talk about the hustle plays and, you know, you mentioned it with with Julius Randle. you know, when you talk about, you know, the front court, you know, dealing with a lot of issues, you would think that Julius Randle would be the front man for that. But the fact that it was Mitchell Robinson, that was really doing a lot of the damage that he went over. He was overlooked going into this series by a lot of fans. And yep. so the fact that, you know, you look at Julius Randle coming into this game, he was somebody that, you know, you expect a lot out of. But if you, I would have told you that he went down and late in the second quarter, early in the third, and the fact that he didn't play the second half, and they still were able to control the control the play, especially Obi Toppin having 12 points in the third quarter, you know, coming uh, off the bench. Like, that's something. Backbreaking. Yeah. Backbreaking. Exactly. Yeah.
2: And, and that's what jumps out to me is – things that normally you wouldn't think they mattered right like coming into this series you talk about okay well how much does depth really matter in the postseason how much can you really rely on second chance opportunities it really came down to it mattering because it was in such the extreme right <laughs> like the 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 next just had more rotational versatility and, and maybe Um, if you had a healthy Dean Wade, it looks a little bit better, but just overall, they had the depth to play multiple different styles. And that's something that I think, uh, would be an important takeaway from the front office as we discuss kind of what we choose to learn from this season and where we'd like to improve. Obviously you can't control what opportunities are available to you in the off season, but that has to be something that jumps out is just the Cavs have a fastball. And that fastball is really good and it's when they have all four of those guys out there with either laverto or coro uh right whether it's through the regular season or whether it's through the playoffs that group played well for the most part they don't have other pitches in their arsenal and i I think that that is something especially when the construction of this team is we're going to have one of garland and mitchell on the floor at all times we're going to have one of mobley and allen if you don't have the supplemental pieces to make those lineups work a whole concept falls apart.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where, you know, again, right on the money with that and, you know, seeing how some of these different role players were able to fit in, well, look at what happened with New York where, again, you have somebody like, you know, Quentin Grimes who early on in the series was able to play pretty good defense, hit a couple of shots here and there, but then as you get on into the series, you know, you have McBride coming off the bench for, for New York, coming in, giving you meaningful minutes. And again, just having, like you said, having different pitches that you're able to go to, having different, you know, options, different tools that you can work with. And, you know, when it came to the Cavaliers, obviously during the regular season, you know, you had guys that were able to, you know, go in there, play well in the, in those roles. But when, as the season went along, obviously they played great in the regular season. As we get to the postseason, completely different game as we saw. And getting a chance to see how some of those guys were able to perform, Jetty had good had good times, had good stretches here and there uh in, in the same way, you know, Danny Green had solid stretches as a veteran here and there, but that's what you expect out of him. But when you're not having that, some of those some of those performances like you would expect sometimes, that's where you go ahead and have some issues in that regard as well. And you know, when you're having the the issues that or some of the some of the deficiencies from, from the core four, at at least. Mm -hmm. And at least when it came to the way that New York attacked them on defense and seeing those and not having that depth to, to help support that and help supplement that that's where it's really backbreaking.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And for fans that are, you know, feeling the pain, feeling the disappointment, like it's justified, right? Like this team earned heightened expectations and that is going to come with increased criticism. We're, we're going to be hearing that uh, all throughout the summer. It's going to come with disappointment in moments like this. Like Cavs fans wouldn't be such a fantastic fan base if we got really high for those high moments when things are going well. And then we were just agnostic when things get bad, right? Like there is always a yin and yang to this, right? The the hurt and pain that Cavs fans feel in this moment is what makes us such a great fan base. It's why we care so much. Like, we love this team. For me, my favorite thing in the world is watching my favorite team go out there and play, re-watching it again, <laughs> jumping on this microphone to talk about them. And that part, like that part of my year is over. And, and I have to wait until the weather turns again and, to, to get that feeling back. And that really hurts. But like, for me, I need to gather my thoughts and kind of, suss through everything that i'm going through and and, and compose myself and, and talk through it on the mic for other people they don't have to do that right like <laughs> you're going to express how you're going to feel it and like i i empathize with that and um i don't want like my tone right now to to reflect that <laughs> it, this doesn't hurt this really really does hurt but at the same time it's it's part of the the gig here right it's to to try to put this into context and I don't want to sit here and I'm not going to be sitting over the next couple of weeks, like correcting people for feeling upset. Like that's what makes this such a wonderful fan base and and such a special group and part of why I love doing this so much.
1: Yeah. And, And you know, it's funny. I was watching one of the NBA clips that they have out and they did a whole entire, you know, ride along with Donovan Mitchell and Donovan talked about why he loves Cleveland fans so much. And the fact that he said, you know, these people, they know what they're talking about. And the fact that somebody, you know, reached out to him and was saying, like, yeah, you missed your assignment on this defensive play. And he was like, they were completely <laughs> justified. He was like, they were completely right. I missed my assignment. And so it's like that's where you see the caring and you see the the thought process behind it. You know, Cleveland fans take things in. Obviously, they're they're a passionate group. And being able to, you know, care, care enough to where – you know, we're seeing so much discourse on, on on Twitter, all over the place, basically. And, you know, I'll have people that will text me, whether it be on Facebook and then everything like that as well. And the fact that, you know, I'll have friends that will be, as soon as, after game one, it's just like, God, man, this team is so tough to deal with against New York. And then after game two, all right, we're back, Cavs in five. Like, the, yeah. the ups and downs of it. But, I mean, that's being a fan. And that's why, like, again, I love this Cavs fan base, especially because like you said, I mean, for us, we kind of take things in. We have to, you know, compartmentalize a little bit, take in what we've seen, and then try to give out the, the best, you know, takes and honesty that we have with it while also being fair. And that's where, you know, for, for fans, it's just take in, just unload it. And that's where, again, I, I love it when it comes to, to Cleveland fans, especially the passion is there compared to, you know, other fan bases that, you know, may or may not even want to show up, even if they're in the playoffs, even if it's like midway through the first half. And, you know, seeing that difference in that passion, I think that's what, that's what makes me love Cleveland fans, especially. Yeah.
2: And I said before the series, like I was ready to be hurt. That's what I said coming in because (laughs) I was like, this probably isn't going to end in a championship. I thought it was going to end later than this. I wasn't expecting the hurt to take this form, but like that's part of the ride, especially when you have a team that projects to be together for a while. And I I know people are going to rush to judgments uh when I had Jay King on earlier uh this year talking about kind of Boston and their process that was something he talked about it and I I thought was really fitting at the time and I think it's important to reflect on now which was yeah Boston started with Western or Eastern Conference Finals runs those first couple of years but then they dropped to the play-in, they lost in the first round they had these setbacks it was oh can Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum play together When you earn expectations, when people think that, hey, this is a team that has all these great regular season metrics, when you have those expectations, when things go wrong, it's going to invite a lot of noise. And if you have confidence in what this front office can do, if you have confidence in the individual players, you are going to believe that, hey, they can get through this. They're going to take a, a sober look at what needs to improve, what needs to improve individually, whether that's. Uh, from JB down to Garland, Mitchell, Mobley, Allen, Levert, Okoro, all those guys, whoever's back, they're going to have to look at what they need to improve internally. I think the front office is obviously going to look at every avenue to, to get better. And I mean, reflecting back even on the Mitchell trade itself, I think it's a good thing that we got tested. We wouldn't be here. We'd probably be a play-in play team without that move. And having someone like Donovan Mitchell, who had a phenomenal best season of his career... Having him bring us to this moment and seeing, hey, we still have a long way to go. We still have a lot of growth to do. In some ways, being stress-tested in that way uh, against a team like the New York Knicks, who really, their strengths were in all the pain points for the Cavs when it comes to offensive rebounding, valuing those kinds of possessions, the physicality that they could bring. That was the best offensive rebounding team in the league against the worst defensive (laughs) rebounding team post all-star break, right? Like they were built in a lab and we probably <laughs> didn't account for that enough. Yeah. The, the Just their ability to put pain or put pressure on all of those pain points for the Cavs. The fact that we're testing in that way and the flaws were revealed is probably a positive when you're talking about this being early in the process.
1: Yeah. And, and especially too, you know, you mentioned the Boston Celtics, you know, look at that first, you know, those first couple of Eastern Conference final runs. Compare that to what the, what team they had in the finals last year, you know, yeah. the growth that they have. And not only that, but also seeing the development of players that have come along. All of a sudden you mix in a Grant Williams that they were able to draft and develop along as well, finding different role players. And not only that, finding the right mix of veterans in there as well. That's a, that's a great point there as well, where the fact that again, Donovan Mitchell was the oldest starter in the, in the lineup, at least for the Cavs, other than Karis Levert when he was coming in. But you know, mixing in different veterans mixing in different different personalities into this group this is where this is year 1 and i think like you said it was a, it was a great point where you know you expected some heartbreak this year you didn't expect a full finals run but at the same time yeah. you expected to be a little bit longer but having this first year and, and seeing those deficiencies and seeing those flaws with this team and being able to you know read and react in, in free agency and not only that but also see a very openly and not even just like, all right, maybe it was depending on a matchup here and there that that could have been exploited. It, it was pretty much like you said, this team was made in a lab to deconstruct everything that the Cavs did well. And yeah. so for this team, I think that this is a great opportunity for, you know, Kobe Altman and the staff. I know that they're probably already they've been working uh, <laughs> for, for months at this point, looking ahead. Um, meanwhile, you and I are probably just, you know, we'll probably start at 1201. Uh, but, but at the same time, you know, taking a look at how this team was built, seeing those pressure points and seeing where this team can adapt and see what team is going to be rolling out for, you know, 2023, 2024 coming up in uh, a few months. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be interesting to see the development of this team here going forward.
2: Yeah, it really will be. And I remember listening to J.B. Bickerstaff on J.J. Reddick's podcast. (laughs) A lot of J's there. Um, (laughs) And he was talking about how he understands that in today's NBA, it's a partnership, right? Like when it's coaches and players, like if you're not talking to them all on their level and getting input and and working back and forth, you're not going to have success. And Kobe Altman's talked about the same thing. So their understanding and, and the way that they've communicated that, like, to me it gives me confidence because at the end of the day even though all of them all four of the core had bad games bad stretches and probably a bad series overall for all of them by their standards that they have played to to earn kind of that expectation I expect every single one of those guys to be competitive to use this as a learning experience I talked about how Jared Allen uh, when we talked to him at media day but before last season was saying oh, I'm, I'm not really a talker and then by the end of the year was saying hey i recognize that i need to go out there and i need to talk more like jaron allen had an awful series by by his standards like there, there's no way around it and the thing that stood out to me was he got worse as the series went on he started with that 14 and 14 game in game one right like making a big impact had 10 rebounds three assists three steals three blocks in their game to win and it's just like the the physicality just wore him down wore him down wore him down throughout this series and i think it's important to, to remember that he's the same age right now that tristan was in the 2015 finals run <laughs> like he is really really damn young and i would expect that a point of, em- of emphasis for him that, that the Cavs will bring up uh that he will be feeling after this series is i gotta add strength i need to be able to bring the impact that Cavs fans are accustomed to me seeing two situations like this. And Mitchell Robinson is an outlier, right? Like it's, there's not many guys that <laughs> damn big and that damn strong. And it wasn't just that one individual matchup. The, the, it was the team rebounding effort. Evan Mobley needed to be a lot better on the boards. Our wings, our guards needed to be better boxing guys out. Uh, some of that was, you know, the Knicks do have some wild misses that rebound really far out, right? Like it's, it was a team effort but i think from his perspective that obviously has to be a point of emphasis going into this off season, because internal growth is still going to be the biggest thing that closes the gap like we we can make adjustments or not we but the, the team can make adjustments in the supporting cast get that kind of rotational versatility add some more front court players that can give you supplemental rebounding and all that kind of stuff but still going to come down to these four guys and what type of growth they show
1: yeah, and, and I think that's, you know, hitting the nail on the head there, especially, because, you know, for for as much as we can talk about, you know, the role players and everything like that, and obviously, as we saw in this series, that plays a big part of this, but at the same time, you know, that's where you also see some potential growth from some of those guys. What does Isaac Okoro do after this after this offseason? Yeah. Because out of all the guys that, that, obviously, a lot of the guys had poor series, but, Isaac was one of those guys at least that was in the right place at the right time, making the right cuts, getting those rebounds, getting those layups, hitting a couple of threes on the outside. I know he started off slow, but you know, was able to play well on the outside on the offensive side, but on the defensive side especially, you know, really was locking down Brunson in that second half. And really was one of the main reasons why they were trying to why they were able to keep it close. So, you he, know, he was
2: cutting well too. He took a, a a contested three right like he had a quick trigger on it like you, it wasn't the version of Isaac Coral we saw last year in the play-in where it looked like he was scared and kind of standing around. Like, he, he was out there competing, and again, this is one of those moments where it's probably important to note that he's the same age as Evan Mobley.
1: Yeah, and the fact that he was playing with purpose, and, and it really felt like he was able to, you know, just have a knack for finding the ball over and over again. That was huge for him especially. But, you know, seeing the growth from some of those role players as well, and and I think especially like you mentioned too the fact that you know Jared Allen same age as Tristan Thompson in the 2015 Finals and like you mentioned too Evan Mobley I mean I, I would say this if Evan Mobley and Jared Allen don't have a protein shake sponsorship by the end of the off season <laughs> like I, I don't know what I don't know what went wrong because like Cl- Cleveland
2: food seems too good for, for them <laughs> to, to stay this lean we we got seriously we got to kid on that we gotta get some squats going <laughs>
1: yeah. right. But that's, but that's where, you know, for Jared Allen, like that's something where, you know, this is an important lesson for him. And I think almost similar to how you mentioned with with Isaac last year, I think you could see a, a, an opportunity for growth from, from Jared from this kind of a series next year. And I think that's something where, you know, again, just having a type of series like this, obviously is it one that you want to have as a, as a fan? No, but at the same time, you know, it's something that, you know, you see the areas that this team can grow in. And it's not like you're dealing with guys that are, you know, up there in age, at least, or in their upper twenties, lower thirties at this point. You're not dealing with a Miami Heat that feel like they're like they're con- they're consistently on the last ride every single year. Um, yeah. But you know, for this team again, I mean, Donovan, 26, Jared Allen, 24, Isaac, 22, Mobley, almost 21. 22 yeah. <laughs> at this point. So for those guys, there's a lot of room to grow, and and that's where I'm going to be interested to see. You know how this team, you know, takes that offseason step and takes something like this that as is as bad of a loss when it comes to a series loss, but at the same time, the ability to grow from that into this uh, into this next year, I'm going to be really interested to see how these guys look coming back.
2: Yeah, I'm hopeful that they can grow into something that's as special as the support that we get from Zoom. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects.
0: This is it, we've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he
2: connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is! And
0: you will not believe where he's going next the amex dedicated card member entrance for the win unbelievable when you get travel perks with amex platinum you're part of the action that's the powerful backing of american express terms apply learn more at americanexpress.com with amex
2: there really is nobody that you can point to and say they had a great series and it was everybody else that lost like even in this game it's so funny you got karis levert 17 points four seven from three honestly Charis probably, like, had the most steady series outside of that game (laughs) one. He was probably one of the more reliable contributors in terms of a baseline, which is hilarious, but, like, he stepped up and he did his part. Yeah. Isaac Okoro. 10 points, two of three from three. Jetty, two of four from three. Like, this was a, a, a night where the Cavs shot better. They shot 39% from three. Knicks shot 31%. Cavs shot 46.7% from the field. Knicks shot 43.5%, right? Like, there's been so much focus on, oh, well, you know, the, the Cavs po- postseason defense uh, just it didn't <laughs> hold up to the the, the the what they did in the regular season. It was better than it was in the regular season. The problem was the offense was so bad and they gave the Knicks so many second chance opportunities. And um like, they, they were bad in ways that I do think are fixable, right? Like I don't think any of this is fatal flaws. Some of its roster construction, some of its growth and physical maturity. I mean, uh, we, we talk about Jared. Like, go go look at uh, the the picture is of Titan Chandler in Chicago <laughs> and, and then like Dallas. So, like some of this is just, you know, becoming an adult <laughs> and, and getting on the other side of 25 years old. But there, there are ways to improve this and, and to deal with some of these shortcomings. And they're going to need to because honestly, this Knicks team isn't going anywhere. Like that's a well-built team that's built for sustainable success. And they still have assets in their chamber to go out and make a move. Now, when they make a consolidation trade, if they end up doing that, they're probably going to deal with some of the stuff the Cavs have to go to, which is not having that depth, you know, needing another off season cycle to build out the supporting cast and and to, to really kind of flush out the the rotation. But that's going to be a team that the Cavs are going to have to see. And and while some of the teams at the top are a little bit of an unknown, we don't know what's going to happen with Philadelphia. Obviously the Chris Middleton situation in Milwaukee is something that they're going to have to deal with. Um, the Knicks are probably going to be here for a while, and, and this—I mean, if this is chapter one of the rivalry, I, I hope the rest of the book gets a little bit better.
1: I was going to say I, this reminded me, and, and this was obviously I was younger when it when it came to this, but you know that Wizards-Cavs rivalry that you saw built up in the first LeBron run, where you know just year one it was just the back and forth, and the fact that you know it ended up with Papa John's having to give out free pizzas to Cleveland fans because they were upset about. Uh, the the fact that they were su- supporting Deshaun Stevenson in, in that run, mm-hmm. like you know, seeing all of that that rivalry, it starts, and you got to have something that starts up that series. And I think one aspect that I think uh, kind of gets a little bit overlooked here too is the fact that you know, we talk about how young the Cavs core is, and you know, I think that you look at the Knicks core and, and the fact that they're a little bit further into their prime, and at least physically, you know, Julius Randle dealt with being with the Lakers, obviously dealt with being with other with other squads there as well. And you know, for the Knicks, he's had time to build himself up. He's had, and you've had Mitchell Robinson have time to build yeah. himself physically as well. So I think that this is a this is chapter one. Like you said, they've dealt the first punch. They've won the first. Uh, they've won the first battle. And I think it's going to be interesting to see who uh, ends up winning that war, at least, and seeing how this goes going forward. Because you know, I would say this at least for for chapter one between the fans. I think that was something that was definitely uh, entertaining to watch, to say the least.
2: Yeah, yeah, and honestly, I. I hope randall's okay um yeah i I saw ian begley mention that he wasn't wearing any like supports on his ankle uh when he's in street clothes like i they 100 deserve this series win. they they were just they were the better team over this series without a doubt um it's as much as we're disappointed i I don't want to take away from the knicks and i want them to be able to continue and have a good run and, and showcase what's made them so tough in this series right like it's it sucks i hate this um but that's like it always gives me a little bit of comfort if they can go out and like you know really push some other teams that that we (laughs) like and respect and are good right because then that sliding scale Kind of changes like when early in the season when the Cavs lost to the Kings and it was, oh, my God, what a terrible <laughs> loss. This Kings team sucks. And then like looking back on the season, you're like, oh, yeah. So Cavs, two guys <laughs> playing with the flu. We lost to a very good Sacramento team. OK, that that makes a little more sense now in hindsight.
1: Right. And it's all about context at that point, too. And seeing where, where that team kind of develops, everything like that. You know, like you said, you know, we have our preconceived notions going into the year of what a team is going to be. And, you know, I, I'm not watching all of the Kings games, that, nor is anybody watching every single team's game. So, at the same time, they'll have their preconceived notions and what they thought of last year. And that's where, again, like you mentioned, you know, some of these teams, seeing how these teams develop, seeing how these teams play, I mean, hell, with the way that, you know, a lot of people were talking about the Miami Heat late in the season and saying, like, is this is this it for Miami? Meanwhile, they're pushing Milwaukee. And yep. have Milwaukee on the brink of elimination. So... Big heavy
2: dose of context there with the Giannis injury, but still, right? Oh, for sure, for sure, they do look for awesome. Sure. Do look sure. awesome.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, Jimmy Butler dropping, you know, almost sixty in, in a playoff game. Like, you know, seeing some of those, everything like that. But you know, again, seeing how some of these different teams develop when it comes to the when it comes to the season, especially, I think you can get context clues as the season goes along. But especially like you like you said, I mean, you know, we have thoughts on certain teams. Obviously, you know, I mean. Hell, it's one of my favorite uh, throwaway jokes in uh, in, in Soul from Pixar, where it's just, "Oh, I like messing with I like messing with this team," and it's always and the Knicks lose again. And so, like seeing how you know that team has progressed this year, especially under. Uh, Thibodeau, where, you know, again, constantly we'll see that team maybe, you know, go down over the next few years. But seeing this team step up and play well for for him this year, especially, and seeing that come together, especially after, you know, not having that Donovan Mitchell deal uh, go through in the offseason, obviously benefit to us. But hey, they got the win in, in the end of the postseason. But playing well, despite that, you know, I think that's something that's interesting. And like you said, just got to give it up to them for the, for how they played this season.
2: Yeah, I, I got to be honest, man. I haven't watched Soul. I haven't watched oh. a lot of the new Pixar movies because I just don't want to cry.
1: Oh, I and, get it. <laughs> and, and,
2: like, I, I know they're going to be good, and I know it's going to hit me in, in all those tough <laughs> spots. And honestly, that's going to be a r- reason why I don't rewatch this game. It's. I, I hope everyone can forgive me that th- this is going to be one that I pass up on. Uh, but, like, one of the things we talked about, like, early in the season, was that it's always going to be easier for teams defensively in the postseason... To take away two smaller guards like just what they're able to do it's easier to take that away if there isn't a front court playmaker or front court initiator and that guy needs to be evan mobley yeah like that's that's the whole kind of conceit of this team building is evan mobley needs to be that guy and i thought there was a lot of really positive indicators going into the playoffs like uh from january on basically being a 19 point per game guy and one of the reasons why I think this series went sideways was Mobley just didn't step up to that challenge offensively now him taking Julius Randall out of the series defensively I think deserves a lot of credit I think he was out there competing and again 21 years old it's ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> like like this guy's insane but he just wasn't there offensively and I, I think when you like this is the best way I can sum it up he was playing about 38 minutes per game He's averaging 9.8 points per game on 45% shooting. Isaac Okoro, who played 15 minutes per game, averaged 6.4 points per game. (laughs) Like, that's not a big drop-off in quite a few less minutes, right? And it's not like Okoro is someone out there uh, that they're drawing up a lot of plays for, right? Like, if a lot of what the Knicks are doing in terms of throwing bodies, throwing traps, really trying to destabilize what the Cavs are doing offensively, beyond the off ball cutting and jamming cutters and and that kind of stuff that they were doing they were really making life hard for Garland and Mitchell at times and you need to have that front court guy that just attracts so much attention like even think how much attention Julius Randall and Mitchell Robinson draw just because of their ability to attack the basket and generate those second chance opportunities right like you start scrambling as a defense because you have to make sure that Randall's contained. You have to make sure that he is not getting a second chance opportunity You're, you have to make sure that Mitchell Robinson's not getting in on the boards as well. You have to make sure Josh Hart isn't, right? Like having that interior pre- presence bends a defense. And, and I mean, I don't think a- anybody reasonable is selling Mobley stock after this, <laughs> but it, it's just one of those things, right? Like I, I think it's really, really important that we highlight and, and showcase where guys like Garland, Mobley, Mitchell, Allen struggle, because when they make that growth, it's easier to point that out, right? Rather than saying, no, no, everything's fine. I'm blaming someone else. This, you know what, this is all Jetty's fault. I've decided this is all Jetty's fault, right? Like if you're doing that, then there's no reward for seeing these guys grow up. And I think that's obviously a big part of an experience of dealing with a
0: young team like this. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: Yeah, and and I think that's, that's a great point because... You know when you saw the defense attack, obviously Mitchell and and Garland. You know one of the big things that you know I I had noticed at least. It seemed like the early on in the season when they had that that big winning streak. What did you, what did you see? You saw a lot of ball movement, players moving without the ball, trying to create those open looks, creating that going with that extra pass, and a lot of times it felt like they were rushed and m- maybe just trying to you know get a quick shot up here and there. But less ball movement, especially. Yep. You know it felt like and. You know, getting a chance to to see that, especially having somebody like Mobley basically act as that as that uh, safety valve to kind of decompress that a little bit. Have Mobley or have Garland and Mitchell go off ball a little bit, stretch that defense out. You know, I, I think that could help, and I think that, like you said, that's that next step, especially for this offense and for the team going forward, is seeing that next step from from Mobley and seeing how that can you know affect the offense as a whole. Because at that point, that takes a little bit more of the burden off of Donovan Mitchell and You know, one thing I'll give Mitchell credit for, especially early on in the series, and I saw it, you know, especially uh, tonight a little bit here and there, and also in game two, was, you know, his activity on defense, especially, and the aggressiveness going after the ball. Um, You know, trying to create a couple of steals here and there and exerting some more energy in that side of it. And for him, I think that if you're able to have somebody else on offense, you know, able to take off a little bit of that burden, have him create a little bit without the ball, I think that could also help, and that could go a long way for him as well. And mm-hmm. that was something that really stood out in my mind, especially when it came to to Mitchell Garland. I thought played pretty solid on defense, but obviously, you know, we, we saw some of the some of the you know laps here and there uh, when it came to the defensive side. But you know, again, I think that, like you said, when it comes to Mobley, that was something that down the stretch we saw really was able to create quite a bit for the Cavs. And I think that for him going forward, if that's something that they're able to work on in the off season, improve and really add that offensive dimension, because again, you're not sticking Evan Mobley in the corner and, you know, attracting the defense in in that sense. But for him, if he's able to, you know, maybe work on that jump shot a little bit, maybe get a little bit more pick and pop action. And then for him able to go ahead and be that offensive hub for the, for the team, I think going forward, that could open up quite a bit for, for the Cavs and have both Donovan and Darius be able to work off ball as those three point shooters on the outside
2: yeah i agree with that and i i think one of the things that i i'm really hoping for going into next year whether it's it, it, i mean it's going to be a combination of things right like they, they are going to have their mid-level exception uh to use um i think there's a lot of attractive names and we'll, we'll get into those in the off season but there's a lot of guys that make a lot of sense um i think Terrence lavert i would assume at this point like just from a team control standpoint you're probably bringing him back assume that uh, unless a real great opportunity came along I, I think isaac okoro is going to be back so we'll see what kind of growth he has but i, I think one of the things i'd like to see next season is the rotation and the lineup and, and the roster overall being at a place where so much experimenting isn't necessary because i i, I really do feel like you start the year with Kara starting, then you have a, a long stretch with lamar and then you have isaac and then you know guys are kind of in and out of the lineup and we just don't really like it made it harder I think to build an identity uh, as a team and I mean some of that's guys not rising to the occasion right like it it took a while for Okoro to to rise to the occasion and unfortunately you know missing three weeks going into the playoffs I think that definitely had an impact on his ability to, to help out there I mean Uh, I did not feel comfortable in game one sitting in the stands, watching him hit the ground, holding that knee multiple times. Like, that (laughs) didn't feel great. Um, But I I think you saw as the series got on and he started to get his sea legs back, he started to make an impact. And I'm still holding a lot of a coral stock. I'm holding stock in all these guys, right? Like, and I do think the fact that it's a team-wide failure is something that it, it helps them as a group, right? Like, it's a shared experience. Donovan Mitchell... Our our buddy Evan Damerell tweeted this out, a quote from postgame, but Mitchell said in the last two years, he hasn't been the player that the team needed him to be in the postseason, both with the Cavs and with the Jazz, and it frustrates them to no end. I believe that. I I absolutely believe that. And a big part of this, a big part of why we lost the series, was this was just an abnormally bad series for Donovan Mitchell. He just didn't shoot the ball well, um, missed a lot of open looks. And when the margins are so tight, like, I, I know some of the final scores got away in this, but a lot of that is kind of late buckets. Almost every one of these games, uh, with the exception of Game 3, was within the Cavs' reach at some point. And, you know, just better performances out of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell would, would have went a long way. As much as we can talk about uh Mobley playing better, opening things up for him, uh, better, better, you know, options within the rotation, uh helping them out, there, there was also just so much food that they left on the table individually. I don't think you can pass off that blame uh, to, to anybody else.
1: Yeah, and and I think that, you know, you look at going into the series, so much talk was about the fact that Donovan Mitchell was six all-time for highest scoring average, and almost 29 points a game per game in playoff action, the series averaged 22 points a game. And, you know, for that was going into tonight. Uh, yeah, and I then went up
2: to 23. Okay. There so we go. Not, mu- not much of a bump. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But you know, that's where, you know, again, Garland coming in average 20 and a half again, a- and Karis, you know, he went up in, in average, but again, that's where, you know, for Donovan being down that, that many points and especially, you know, for, for him having, you know, t- in tonight's game alone, 11 for 26 from the floor and three of 12 from deep. Like that's, that's not something that you expect from a guy that, you know, you expect to be that that playoff dog that's going to be out there, that's going to be able to make those threes and be able to cr- create those plays and be that guy that you know defenses have to watch out for over and over again. Obviously, you, you do regardless. It's Donovan Mitchell, but you know at the same time when when he's on and he's able to have some of those games, that's something that you know you were that at least for me, I felt like I was kind of waiting for a little bit. This series was that Donovan Mitchell, you know, forty point fifty like forty five point game. Uh, out of him, but obviously, again, just a, a down series for him, down series, uh, you know, with the team. But like you mentioned, I mean, that's that's a void that you know you can't have a role player fill in that kind of a void, and nope. you can't have somebody that just comes off the bench that's going to be able to go ahead and give you that in, in one game. Um, mm-hmm. But that that's where I think it, it's one of those big, one of those big, um, those big holes in in the void that I think the Cavs weren't able to fill. And I think that, like you said, I mean, the fact that, you know, Donovan mentioned the fact that, you know, he disappointed in this one, he's disappointed in the result, and how he played. I think that's something that, like you said, it's truthful. And I think that for him, it's just being honest about it and looking at how, you know, this team played. I think that, you know, it's a Donovan Mitchell, uh, not a Donovan Mitchell problem. I don't want to say that. No, it's it's basically... It was a it was a hole that wasn't that wasn't there that he wasn't able to fill. That's that's the only yeah. thing. And it was it's disappointing, but again, you know, we can. It's not any one player. It's you know you have other guys that you know were down in average when it comes to other players as well. And again, you know, just looking at how this team performed, um, I, like you said, I think that there's a lot of room for growth. And I think that this is a team that, you know, I, I hate to I hate to quote Ty Lue with the wins and lessons, but you know, I mean. Now, it's I think. Still applicable. Yeah, it's applicable. It's applicable as hell right now when it look, when you look at uh, the results for the playoffs here and seeing how you know how this team dealt with dealt with this team especially and dealt with the physicality. I think that that was something that was also a good test uh, to see. Obviously, you don't want to have it result in being bounced from the playoffs, but again, just seeing how this team was able to respond to this kind of a test, I think is good for for the future at least.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and you know, Darius Garland, I. I expect more out of him and like it's funny too because with, with dg like you look at kind of the game by game box scores and game one probably more tentative than he needed to be uh but like he shot well for the series like that that's kind of the <laughs> wild thing is even with that four of 21 stinker like still shot you know 44 from the field 39 from three uh about 21 <laughs> points per game for the series right like I I think that that's something you can build off of right like and I I do think that he needs to get better um I think this whole team needs to get stronger I think a big part of why they went away from the movement within their offense was they just got sick of getting hit by the Knicks like they just they didn't like getting roughed up off ball and they stopped moving because they didn't want to get hit like that was my big read on this and that's something that can happen like I talked about it on the last podcast, but my mind goes back to the last dance where the Jordan Bulls just got the hell beat out of them and they're like, that's not happening again. And if these guys are the level of competitors that I believe them to be, if I mean, I think there's a reason why this was a 51-win team. Um, <laughs> like, I, I expect them to, to rise to the occasion here. I expect them to really use this as fuel. And it, like it just sucks, man. Like, it sucks. This was such a great season. And expectations are going to be up man like it's from this point on it's big boy pants time like this is it it's not going to be fun story from here on out i i mentioned earlier how it's a collaboration uh between the players and the coaching staff in the front office that means that both sides are auditioning for one each one another at all times right like even when you're under contract it's always trying to maintain that level of buy-in from the team and I do think that there's an opportunity here uh, for uh, Kobe, Mike Anzi, uh like the, the front office a, as a whole. This is going to be their first draft and their first free agency window with Donovan Mitchell on the roster. They also have Darius Garland, who's a wildly popular player here, right? Like there's a very clear need for a veteran role player that fits well with this team. And they're gonna have mid-level exception to, to pitch players with, right? Uh, They didn't burn up all their second-round picks. They didn't use five (laughs) second-round picks on Jay Crowder, who's currently (laughs) struggling in Milwaukee, right? So you have that in your arsenal. You have non-guaranteed deals. You you have a whole bunch of things to work with to to find that value on the margins, whether it's straight up, whether it's a free agency, whether it's being a third team in a deal, trying to to find those avenues. Like, this is going to be a really, really important offseason for Kobe Altman, and he's going to need to get creative because... We have the core of something special here. It just needs the right parts around it. And and some of that is the core improving itself. Some of that is that supplemental talent as well.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: Yeah, and I think that, you know, the one thing that I remember cautioning Cavs fans to before the Donovan Mitchell trade uh, you know, the fact that that first year, the getting into the play in, that's the fun ride where you didn't have the expectations going into the year, and it's just able to be able to take in what you're able to take in. Getting Donovan Mitchell, all of a sudden now it's just like, all right, let's see. We have some expectations. Let's see how they react. But at the same time, you're still in year one. Now, like you mentioned, the fact that this is the first full offseason with Donovan Mitchell, one of the things that we heard constantly was the fact that Donovan Mitchell is one of the most popular players in the NBA. And he's one of those guys that has that that kind of respect from players all across the league. And so being able to have that flexibility and like you mentioned too, you have the mid-level exception uh, and, you know, the potential additions that you're able to have, but not only that too, but you know, the, the talk around the league that was going around even before the Donovan Mitchell deal about the culture around Cleveland and the fact that, what JB Bickerstaff and Kobe Altman were able to build up in terms of culture that was going around the league. So all of a sudden now you mix in Donovan Mitchell, one of the most popular players in the league along with the Cavs culture that's already been, you know, talked about around, around, around player circles, excuse me. Then at that point, I want to see, you know, how creative can you get? You know, when it comes to, you know, Kobe Altman and Mike Ganty, you know, we've seen previous regimes and the creativity when it comes to adding in certain free certain uh, trades for agents and figuring out which levers to pull. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to be curious to see in this off season what players are you able to bring in, what players want to come in, and yep. especially seeing how that kind of reshaping could look, and how that how that full off season. I think this off season, especially like you mentioned, I think it's going to be one of the most fascinating ones uh, from that standpoint, just because of the fact that you've seen what this team has, you've seen how this team reacts to each other, and you're able to see how this team is able to build going forward.
2: Yeah, I I totally agree. And I think the point about the culture is an important one, but I do think we're at a point now where that torch has to be passed. Yep. I think Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, and even, you know, to, to some extent, Evan Mobley, those need to be the culture setters. Like it's not veterans like Kevin Love or Danny Green or anyone else your leadership needs to be your best players. And yeah. I, I think, I, I mean, it's probably is the case, but a lot of that responsibility now is probably going to shift onto those guys' shoulders moving forward. Like, I, And these are guys that welcome that kind of responsibility. So I, I, I do think in terms of roster building, I don't know how much I, I'd even be considering that, right? Like you yeah. want to have guys that you feel confident they're going to buy into the system. They're going to buy into the role that's available to them. And you have to value culture from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, you know, leadership on, on the bench and stuff like that, like I, I just that doesn't need to be much part of the equation anymore in my eyes. Right. Like it, it's buy into the system, buying into what I can do alongside these guys that needs to, to be the number one priority.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that it also adds on to the point that you brought up earlier where it's talking about the tools that you have in your toolbox. You know, when you're talking about certain guys that are, are viewed as culture guys, but might not necessarily get as many minutes, it, it's what are you? What's coming to the table at, at a certain point? And that's where you know, if you're able to have somebody who might do, who might have a different skill set compared to you know somebody like a um somebody like a Danny Green, somebody like a Jetty Osmond, somebody that can change up, give you a different look in the lineup at that point going forward and seeing those different avenues that you're able to pull. If you're JV Bickerstaff dealing with somebody dealing with a series like this, where you're dealing with somebody that's, you know, more physical and okay, Hey, we can go ahead and pull this lever, put this guy in and we should be okay to kind of, to help counterbalance that a little bit. That's something yeah. where I'm going to be interested to see, you know, like you said, you know, culture, it needs to be shifted over. Darius has been in this for, for a few years now at this point, he's a veteran in the league now at this point, going into his fourth year, um so you know for between him oh fifth yeah there we go losing track of time at this point um (laughs) but you know seeing seeing all these guys i mean actually yeah Derry has been in the league for half a decade at this point like you know seeing how these guys have been in the league and you know for for donovan being in there as well again you got to take the torch at some point and these guys have to have to be those those leaders and at that point you know, not necessarily having somebody like a like a Ed Davis on, on the end of the bench, where you know he might play 20 games, or you know, in the Cavs' case in in that season, where you know three guys go down, and all of a sudden he's starting against Brooklyn. But you know, seeing how some of those guys near the end of the bench that aren't really getting that much playing time, instead focusing more on you know getting some guys that you know bring a different skill set to the table that you can go ahead and pull into this series uh, that you might not necessarily you know have in going forward, depending on the matchups that you have.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, I mean, I don't. I'm always rooting when I I have a take that isn't flattering for the Cavs. I'm always rooting to be wrong. I I, I value how the Cavs do over my own opinions. Mm-hmm. But one thing I talked about all year, uh, e- even when we started eight and one, even when when things were going really good and we were on winning streaks, I always said I value the importance of experience so much in the playoffs, and it's not just playoff experience, right? Like. We can't say, oh, well, now that they've got a taste, it's always going to be consistent. Kyrie, in games one and two of 2016 and games one and two of 2017, played like crap. Like, (laughs) he played really, really bad. But learning from playoff experience and and learning from the failures is understanding there are going to be those ebbs and flows. I am going to play really poorly at times. And learning from that experience. And, And for the Knicks... They got a lot of young talent. They have a lot of really good young talent. But you have Julius Randle, 28 years old, Jalen Brunson, 26 years old, Mitchell Robinson, 25 years old, right? Like, these are are physical, mature guys that have experience. They have experience in the league. Josh Hart has a lot of experience in the league and playing in playoff races. It's not the, the same as being in the playoffs, but, you know, that experience and that physical development matters. For the Cavs, they need to learn from this experience. This needs to be fuel for them because even someone like RJ Barrett right like the last time the Knicks were in the playoffs they got punk they, they lost in five games and RJ Barrett played like hell the first two games in the series he was just not good and from then on he was a big time difference maker for the Knicks that's the type of toughness that you want to see RJ didn't even have a great year overall he had ebbs and flows I know this well he's on my fantasy team I'm, I'm, <laughs> like it's I, I was riding that wave sometimes I know you the, were
1: <laughs> sometimes the
2: stocks were high sometimes the stocks were low my friend but uh you know it's that kind of toughness that kind of resolve understanding what it feels like to be down and not wanting to to feel that again that's what it's all about from here on out and there's going to be noise there's going to be doubters say so if the Cavs get off to a great start next year if they have the number one net rating in the league and the <laughs> offense is even better than it was last year and the defense is still number one um, and, and they're top two seed in the Eastern Conference, you're still going to have people that said, oh, well, look at what happened in the playoffs. And you know what? That's that's fair. Yeah, That's fair. That's justified. I'm probably going to disagree with it depending on what it looks like, but there's going to be doubters. And uh, that's not something that you're not going to change your mind. They're, you're not going to change their minds, I should say, until you go out and do it. That's right. part of the game. That's that's part of the process.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that another important part, too, is even look at what R.J. Barrett did in Game 1 and 2 of this series. You know, he was somebody that, you know, didn't didn't score well, didn't shoot well, but then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you saw Game 3 on, all of a sudden you look like Maple Jordan out there, like some people were expecting. And so, you know, for, for him, you know, I, I think that when it came to R.J., like you saw him all of a sudden in Game 5 have a little bit of that swagger to him, you know, when he was able to knock down a three-pointer, yeah. And so for him, I just look at it where, like you said, you know, taking that, that initial playoff experience, taking that, that, you know, the pet, the poor series and able to learn from that and go forward. And especially for a young team like this, this is something where you're going to have a lot of these, you know, yeah. and, but at the same time, don't take it for granted either, you know, don't go ahead and have the ex- fans going to have the expectation. All right, cool. We'll be back next year. As a player, it's going to be, hey, look, this is what I got to do to improve. I got to take my stuff to the next level. I got to take my game to the next level. And so, getting a chance to to see how some of these players will come back next year, especially, you know, I'm not expecting Evan Mobley to come back and you know look like Giannis going into this year. Uh, I mean, if he wants to, if he wants to, I'd be happy with it. Trust me, I'm not expecting it. I'd love it, but I'm not expecting it. But you know, that's something where you know, that's another. Um, that can be another part that, you know, we might not necessarily see, you know, we can expect some growth on the court, but you know, when it comes to the physicality side of it, because they're so young, there's so many different variables that this team can take that next step with. And I think Mm -hmm. that's, what's, uh, you know, exciting for me, at least is is that, you know, this team on the court, like you mentioned, I mean, Kara's pretty much had a pretty consistent series. I mean, and and the way that he played this year felt like he fit in, he was able to find his groove, find a role. I think, worked well for him. And I think that that's a a scenario where, you know, look at last year, dealt with, you know, going into play-in, had had a little bit of a struggle here and there, but, you know, had his ebbs and flows. But by the time that we got to the postseason, he was able to find his role. And like you said, he was probably the most consistent Cavs player that we had in the series. And so... And, and
2: like, Carter and I wanted to move at the deadline, right? Like, not necessarily, Harris, but we understood that, hey, that's, like something that the Cavs are weighing in, and and sticking with him was a bit of a gamble. And I mean, he played well, right? Like that, that part of the vision, you can see why there was a value in it throughout the regular season. Their best lineup was the core four and Karis Levert coming into this game. Their best lineup in the series was the core four and Karis Levert, right? Like there, there's a vision there and you can understand how, the value that he can bring as a six man and, and that guy off the bench.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that's, that for me is the the biggest step for him because, like you said, I mean, when you have Donovan and Darius playing, you know, they're not going to play all 48 minutes together. You know, when you stagger both of them, you have somebody like a Karis Lavert that can be that other outlet, that other ball handler to take off some of that pressure for, for them. And not only that, the fact that he was able to shoot as well from beyond the arc as he did this year compared to what we saw last year. And, you know, I remember, you know, the talks of that being the biggest complaint that a lot of fans had was the fact that, oh, Karis LaVert isn't a great three-point shooter historically. All of a sudden this year in the regular season, he shot almost 40%. So, you know, for... good volume. Yeah, exactly. And, And that's where, you know, for him taking that next step. And not only that, too, the underrated part that, you know, we've talked about it a little bit, but just outright, you know, saying it. Cavs development staff, you know, they do a great job with with these guys and taking their games to the next level. But on top of that, you know, knowing what guys can go ahead and improve under this system and with these with these guys, I think that's another massive advantage for them. And the fact that you mix in somebody like a like a Karis Levert, especially, you know, that's one that I think that for the Cavs, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a player in free agency and I'm looking at this Cavs team. And I'm looking at them th- saying, you know what, I think I can go ahead and ha- and pick up a role with this team. And, I mean, a, a guy that, you know, former Cavalier now, but Larry it you know, yeah. somebody who, you know, was a, that everybody talked about from Chicago. I remember hearing going into the season last year of why the hell is, is this guy out there it's starting at the three, there's no chance. And all of a sudden he's a winning comeback player of the year in the NBA yeah. with Utah. And I think that's something that, you know, the Cavs development staff needs it needs a lot of credit for for how a lot of these players have taken those next steps and able to, you know, feel comfortable in these roles, too. And I think that's going to be an interesting aspect of this going into next year, too.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, if you're looking for bright spots, it's, you know, Karis acquitting himself well, Okoro playing to a level where fans are calling for him when it matters in the playoffs like i would have liked to see isaac okoro play a little bit more throughout that series obviously we don't know the full extent of the health and everything like that i i I don't know how much of a factor that even was um but you know the the fact that he played himself to that level I, i think is an encouraging step forward and we'll we'll see what this ends up being man i i think your point about the development staff is bang on and this is going to be a really really important summer and uh, the Down Podcast will be continuing throughout the offseason. We are now switching to our once-a-week format. Maybe, you know, every now and then there might be a little special episode. You, you never know. But uh, we will be back next week. Carter will be joining me. Uh, we'll do a recap of, of this Knicks series kind of collect our thoughts over the weekend, do that, uh, go through some season recap stuff. And, you know, before we know it, we'll we'll be at the draft we'll be at the free free agency <laughs> this this is going to move quick man i i just already know but mac thank you so much for coming on once again we really do appreciate it big thanks to everyone tuning in live on youtube make sure you like and subscribe click the notification bell so you know when we're going live if you're listening via podcast leave us a rating leave a review subscribe unsubscribe resubscribe and help cook those books If you want to be part of Chase Down's exclusive discord chat send a screenshot of the review to chasedownpod at gmail.com However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you're staying safe out there. Until next time, yo cats.